Hi, this is Kirk Reed. Bear with me as we need a little compliance disclosure. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's generally not the case with callers we speak with on the show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. After all, we just met. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers should check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. Investment returns are not guaranteed, and past performance does not guarantee future results. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy Saturday morning, everybody. I'm joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning. Good morning. We have a holiday show in store for you, Thanks and Giving. I think I've done this every year, at least two or three years now, but I like it. We can take this in a lot of different directions, financial planning, taxes, charity stuff, giving, family stuff. There's a lot that we can cover here this morning, and we'll just... Um, We'll just go in the direction that feels the best for this morning. Yes, there's a lot. Yeah, there's, you know what, there, there's surprisingly a lot. I you know. know. I don't think I've done this show with you yeah. before, but when you dig into the details, there are, is definitely a lot of financial planning that gets into giving, which for yeah. obvious reasons, right? Because we're, we deal with retirement and then we deal with what comes after retirement when, when people pass money on to the next generation. Plenty of stuff to talk Plenty about. Plenty of that. stuff to talk about. And we have a guest this morning coming. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Tim, we have a guest coming this morning. A couple of girls from the high school are coming just for five or 10 minutes to talk about the DECA organization at the high school, the business club that they belong to. Just wanted to get some information out there and do a little PR. So they're coming at about 8.30. All right, so before we get started on some of the financial stuff, I was putting together that outline and was getting a little emotional thinking about thanks and giving and, and with the holiday and everything, it's just a good opportunity, of course, to express thanks for things in your life. So I guess I wanted to just take a minute to do that um, this morning on air and apologies if I get emotional about it because I'm I'm one of those people that cries about almost everything. <laughs> That's okay to have emotions. Uh, <laughs> it means you have a heart. Oh, I'm a, a real person. Yeah, this wasn't on your outline. Re- this wasn't on my outline. <laughs> I didn't. Justin and I shared the outline and I was like, well, I'm going to put my personal stuff on my own separate document. All right. So just really quick for my own thanks, which I will be sure to express at the holiday as well. But I'm thankful for my the gift of my three daughters and their health and their happiness. I'm thankful for my family, the family that I still have living and also the time that I had to spend that I got to spend with my mom before she passed away last year. Oh, I'm doing okay. I didn't cry yet. I'm thankful for my job, my career, my business, and the ability to go to work every day and feel personal satisfaction and helping people and the happiness that I feel and helping others achieve their financial goals. And it's nice to be fulfilled in a professional career as well. And I could go on and on, but I'm going to start there because I probably would start crying if I (laughs) went on and on about all the other things I'm thankful for, but health, happiness, family, and satisfaction daily in my career. Thank you. I'll wait for yours on Thursday, Justin. (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, I always feel, I think ever since I became like a parent, I feel like my thanks are always the same every year, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but I kind of like I'm doing something wrong. Like I should, I should be adding something to the list every year, but it's just this, well, I'm, of course I'm thankful for, for my kids and my wife and time with the family. It's, I guess I'm, I live in a period of stasis with, with kids being at home, but I, but yes, I, of course I'm absolutely thankful for all those same things. And yeah, I guess it. It does make sense to actually sit down and say it, which I think I tell them on a regular enough basis, but it's nice to have a time of the year when you make a point to do that. Yeah. And I was thinking about, we talked a million times, but about the money fair that we do at the Marshfield High School. We've done that now for 
oh my gosh, I think eight or nine years. But one of the things I like to impress upon the high school students <clears throat> at the end of that day is the fact that they should feel thankful for what their parents do for them. Because one of the things that kids are inherently selfish and they don't think about, I think, and no, yeah, most no. of them anyway. <laughs> I was and, laughing in agreement. Oh yeah. yeah. And <laughs> they don't, until they're more mature, don't think about all the things that other people, particularly their parents do for them. And when we right. go through the money fair at the high school, the students there are really, they're 16, 17, 18 years old, but they're really still kids. And they go through that exercise and they, one of the things that I hope they learn anyway is how expensive life is and how expensive it is to support even one person. And and I like to just remind them that for the vast majority, if not all of them anyway, their parents are providing that life for them exclusively or yeah. the vast majority of that financial life for them is provided by their parents, at least for a long time, and that they should be thankful for that. And I say that to them every year. And I do think some of them go home and thank their parents. I'll have people in the community be like, oh yeah, I'll say something about that. But it reminds me too that like I should express those thanks to dad, for example, for yeah. and mom when she was living and all the things that they did for us. And I, I, I did take those opportunities in recent years to do that and be like, hey, dad, thanks for helping with college. That was huge. And I didn't realize it at the time because <laughs> yeah. I was this selfish kid. Here I am. And thanks for that. So I think it's important even as adults for us to, of course, teach our kids the importance of being thankful, especially for financial stuff, but other things, but financial stuff. But even as adults, I think it's not too late for us to express thanks to our parents for all the things that they did for us when we were kids. And of course, we most likely didn't thank them at the time, although I know some kids are. I have one kid in particular who's very thankful for anything that I buy for her. And I think that's probably pretty rare with kids, but I don't know. I would say so, yeah. Yeah, but. Yeah, there's so many things that, yeah, there's, yeah, I think, obviously, I think being a parent makes you think about all that stuff, right? It's, yeah. oh man, this is expensive. Right. Ski trips, they're really expensive. Ski trips are really <laughs> expensive. I just did my budget and I was like, wow, that's a lot that I spent on skiing this year. Yeah, um, that's different. Yeah, so I thanks, think, Dad. Yep. For yep. all those Killington trips. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I make sure to impress that upon my kids when we're going skiing about how the, ex not to make them feel guilty, but to help them yeah. appreciate that this is not always easy for us to do. And I'm sure they um, get it. They really just, they really take it yeah, all. Yeah, I'm all. sure they just <laughs> <laughs> embrace me and the experience. And now, uh, all right, that's uh, all right. We'll have some warm fuzzies later, but we had to get those warm fuzzies out of the way. So the topic for today is thanks and giving. And I wanted to go over the traditional type or discuss traditional types of giving, which are gifting to charitable organizations or gifting to your family, but also some non-traditional types of giving. And we can go over some of these, well, as much as we can today in a lot of detail, but like for non-traditional type giving, things like positioning your estate so that it's so that it's more tax efficient for the next generation. So maximizing what you can pass down to the next generation or planning uh, so that you're taking steps to plan so that settling your estate and estate taxes at death are as low as possible and the experience is as easy as possible and protecting assets for the next generation, helping grandkids with educational expenses, saving money for them, putting money in Roths for them. Like, so not like like outright, here's some money, do what you want with it, but more, what can I do 
to take care of my family later on financially, make things easy for them, maximize what I can pass to them, but not some people don't necessarily want to just give outright cash. They want to do it in a little bit of a different way. People have different feelings about that. And and so there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that people can make gifts to their family, whether it's during life or after their death. And I think people have different in my conversations with clients about that, they have different views regarding gifting. Some people want to outright gift and hand money to to their kids or grandkids because they want to alleviate some sort of a financial burden or they want to watch them spend the money and enjoy it instead of like after they've passed away and they don't get to witness that enjoyment that they may get from the money. And on the flip side of that, some people are worried about, I don't know, spoiling is not the right word, but are worried about enabling or spoiling their kids or making things too easy for them. And so there's some concerns on the other side as well regarding... I'd rather them a lesson, right? Some people want their kids yeah. to teach them the value of, you know, or the importance of work and want their kids to do that, their adult children to find their way themselves and not enable or spoil them. And, but whatever's left hand them to them later on. So I don't know like what your conversations are with clients, but I feel like it's almost equal. Like uh, people just have different feelings about that. And I guess it's of course related to the kids themselves and their personalities and their behaviors. And I'm sure that it's all over the map. Yeah, I would say it is all over the map. I just wanted to go back to one of the things that you said about, about the gift of a simplified process when you pass away, because that's really the, it's a lot of work to get your affairs in order. And it mm -hmm. really, can be considered a gift. And I guess I don't think I've ever thought of it that way until you said it, but the, the amount of time that is involved in dealing with an estate that's like all over the place, right? If you have, we're going through this now with a client, if you have stocks, if you have 20 old stocks that are sitting around and they're, they're not in a brokerage account, the amount of time that's involved in going and collecting up all of those stocks, or if you have five different investment accounts or in, in three different bank accounts, that's a lot of time that goes into, mm -hmm. that's a lot of time that someone's gonna have to spend getting all those affairs in order. And it's of course even harder, say post death. So I just, I did want to echo that piece as some folks will just, if you didn't think about it, you just say, oh, it's not really my problem, which in, in fact it isn't, but the amount of time and aggravation that can go into that process really oh, yeah. can and should be considered a gift, right? Cause it's hard, to, it's hard to get all that done while you're living even harder after you've left assets to your heirs. So. Yeah. I can think of some situations where I'm sure you can as well, where someone hadn't planned, done estate planning yep. and tidied things up in advance of their death. And it can take the family, first of all, it can take them, first of all, it's a lot of work, as you said, but it can take literally years for yeah. things to settle sometimes and for before assets can be distributed because it could be back and forth with attorneys. It could be it could be siblings agreeing with one another about things. It could be the, ex the expense of dealing with attorneys if you have to. It could be the court going, the court system and the delays there in terms of settling an estate. And, and it's just not to mention that people have their own jobs and lives and it's right. just hard to sit down and spend all the time doing that. But yeah, I can think of some situations where, you know, families, where families fight about money all the time. And it's unfortunate. And, but I think more so when the planning hasn't, hadn't been done before someone passed. Yeah, ho hopefully you're leaving, hopefully you're leaving your money to your older children who are retired because you lived a nice long life, but it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. And imagine you or I being handed the complexities of a, 
of an estate plan for dad, for example, right now, I probably wouldn't be too excited about that while we're raising you know, yeah. three kids. It's just, Life is it's a bit complicated, right? Yeah. Yeah. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. The importance of estate planning. Yeah. And it's, a, and that's an expense that people bear, right? A couple thousand, a few thousand dollars, four or five, six thousand dollars sometimes to do really detailed estate planning. And so it's a, it's a financial burden during life to go through that process. There's a lot of decisions that need to be made. There's a lot of work to be done and expense related to that. But it is in, like you said, in fact, a gift yeah. for the next generation to for things to be able to be settled as easily and quickly as possible. All right, let's talk about, I guess let's talk about charitable giving. We've got, I don't know what, seven or eight minutes before the break and our guests join us for a few minutes. But because when it comes to thanks and giving, I think one of the first things that people think of in terms of giving is charitable giving. This is a popular time of year for people and businesses to give to charities, businesses as they approach year end and start to calculate profits and things like that, maybe more charitable toward year end and same with people. I just pulled a little... I don't know. I was trying to do some research about like trends in the charitable giving and things like that. And I had a hard time finding like long-term trends in terms of charitable giving, but lots and lots of articles about how 2021 was like a banner year for charitable giving post pandemic in 2021. That's the year people were feeling, people in general were feeling, I guess, financially healthy, the stimulus and people's inability to spend at the same levels they had before on travel and dining out and things like that, like during the pandemic, right? And cash balances, personal cash balances really high in 2021 also as a result of the stimulus packages. And so 2021 was like, I don't know if it was the best year ever, but it was a really strong year in terms of charitable giving. But I did find some information that in 2022 so far, maybe not so much third quarter of 2022, but first couple of quarters in 2022, also really strong in terms of charitable giving despite the market downturn. But I think third quarter because of recession worries and things like that. And now the down market has lasted about three quarters that maybe gifting is starting to come down a little bit. But I don't know. I just found some, I found an interesting website called Black Black Bod or Black Bowed Institute. And they had some really interesting information regarding charitable giving statistics. Again, I was looking for like long-term. I wanted a chart. I wanted some numbers. I wanted to see some graphs, but I didn't quite find that. But there was some really interesting stuff on that website. Um, saying something like the generosity continues to remain strong so far in 2022. In the third quarter of 22, organizations of all sizes saw increases in their fundraising when compared to the last 12 months. Whether responding to the ongoing humanitarian crisis in Ukraine, expressing passion through social movements or supporting pandemic-related causes, constituents continued to give in the first nine months of 2022. Third quarter was down a little bit. This institute tracks over $51 billion from over 8,500 organizations, charitable organizations across the U.S. So they have like tons of numbers here on this website. I just thought it was really interesting. They have reports and all that stuff. But overall, everyone, charitable giving in 2022 is up 6.7% from 12 months ago, but is down so far this quarter a little bit. But this is cool. This website went into, you can track charitable giving by 
by subsector. Like I could, like you can go in and, for example, you can look at charitable giving for animal wealth. Welfare is up nine percent in the last year, but is down like two percent this quarter. Arts and culture, environment, healthcare, foundations, higher education. It was just I don't know. It was just cool. I just never really. Yeah, and I actually the hottest one was environmental causes. And oh, yeah. The environmental cause, charitable giving to environmental organizations is up 18.5% over 12 months, down a little bit this quarter, as I think they all were. But I think that was the biggest number I saw. And I think the smallest one was human services. Ooh, sad. Human services only up 1%. But anyway, that was just interesting. I found that. And then I went to... The IRS website. Maybe after the break, we can talk a little bit more about as it, the taxes as it relates to charitable giving and the deductions that people are eligible for and things like that. But just before we get there, I went to irs.gov, as I often do, one of my favorite websites. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was... Your, your weekly check-in with yeah, irs.gov? exactly. Yeah. And I was, again, looking around for information on charitable deductions. I had actually, there have been several changes in terms of charitable deductions the last couple years because there was like 2021 was like a bonus year where you could deduct up to 100% of your adjusted gross income, but that was last year. And then I think there was like something else in 2020, some other sort of charitable deduction benefit that maybe was a little bit different. So anyway, I lost track. So I was looking at the details, but we'll go over that after the break. But one thing that was interesting is that I found on the IRS website, there was a link to a tax exempt organization search tool. So I clicked on that and you can search by city and state. You can, for all the tax exempt organizations. So for example, I put in March Field, Massachusetts, search for all the tax exempt organizations, and there is 195 tax in exempt Marshfield? organizations in Marshfield alone. Oh my and you can actually go in and you can click on them and then you can you can pull their tax return that they filed. You can get that information. So I was clicking around and looking at, I was starting to get curious what's some of the revenue that some of these organizations pull in. So that was interesting. I went to Lowell, where we broadcast the show in Lowell as well. Lowell, Massachusetts had obviously a bigger number. Oh, hold on. I lost it. Oh, man. Okay, I want to take a guess. We have a cliffhanger. I, man, if Marshfield has 195, I don't know, 300. Lowell, Massachusetts has 594 tax-exempt organizations. And let's look at your hometown. Now, say, are these, these are like 501c3? These aren't, or is this any kind of charitable institution? Because I know that the deduction limits depend on the type of charitable organization. If it's a family, oh gosh, I'm probably right. the there. But. This, these are just tax-exempt organizations, not necessarily okay. 501c3. Westford, Massachusetts. Oh, hold on. Oh, we got to take a quick break. The music is playing. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara. We got to take a quick break. We're talking about thanks and giving, and we'll just be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781-834-2010. We're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara. Good morning. 
Good morning. We have a couple of guests in studio here for the next few minutes. We won't make All them right. stay the next 90 minutes, but they're here for, I don't know, five or 10 minutes or however long they want to. So we have Elle Baird and Allie Lomba from Marshfield High School. They are, I'm assuming, officers in the DECA club organization. I'm not sure what we call it, but they're here to, to talk a little bit about that organization and the lovely things that they learn and that they do there. Good morning, ladies. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. I've been familiar with DECA for, I don't know, eight or 10 years. We didn't have it when I was in high school because I'm old, but also because I think I went to a really small school and we just didn't have all the stuff that uh, Marshfield has. But I know Mrs. Stanford from, we've been friends for years and she was my first introduction to DECA. So I'm aware of all the great things that you guys do and learn and, and all the skills that you learn there as you're about to embark upon adulthood. The floor is yours, ladies. Hi, I'm Allie. So this is my second year of DECA and my first year of being an officer, which has been super fun. And I'm really excited for this year's competition. DECA is a club for business-minded high school kids who would like to travel, compete, and make new friends. There are tons of opportunities for kids who belong to DECA, including learning, comprehensive business skills, mock business proposals, and competing at a local, state, and even international level. It also looks really good on your college resume. <laughs> <laughs> and I really love and enjoy the club, and I think I can speak for both Elle and I when I say it definitely helps that we have an amazing chapter advisor, Mrs. Weber. So I originally joined, I'm not going to lie, so I could travel and miss school days. <laughs> but it really helped me actually with my public speaking, which also helps with theater and performances that I do. I also just really love meeting new people. And I actually still keep in touch with a lot of the people I met at those competitions. Oh, nice. And the club and organization overall is just a really great opportunity. And I'm really, really glad that I had the chance to take part of it in high school. Wow. I have been a DECA member for four years and I've been a chapter officer for the past two. DECA has been wicked instrumental in my life socially as well as academically. Going into freshman year of high school, I was like shy, quiet, antisocial. I like did not want to be bothered, did not want to talk to anyone. But through DECA, I've become more outgoing, more confident, and here I am on the radio. <laughs> I also have been given opportunities that I never thought I would get. I even got to go to Atlanta, Georgia for our international leadership conference last year. And I met and formed relationships with people from across the country. Ali said, I'm still in contact with all those people making like new friends. I've also gained leadership skills that helped me become a better officer in Atlanta. Yeah, it's been a really great experience. Yeah. So are you guys both seniors? You're a senior, Al. Yeah. You're a senior, Allie. Yeah, and we're you both seniors. You joined two years ago? I joined Jack last Dick? year for my first year, okay. which was really fun. It was cool because I actually made it to the international level my first year, placed nice. top 20 in the world with two of the girls I competed with. Wow. So that awesome. was really fun. Yeah. And then this year I became an officer. Wow, congrats. What made you want to join DECA? Like you joined as a freshman, Al. Yeah, so... Is it word of mouth, or is it Mrs. Weber, or is it... I was in Mrs. Stanford's <laughs> Intro to Business class, okay. and I originally took that because I was like, well, I'll just take it, like, one year, and then, like, I can put it on my, like, college, like, whatever, that I took a business class. Yeah. And I ended up really liking it, and she was like, you should join DECA, and so I joined. And I didn't have any friends that were joining, and I just, I did it, and I made friends, and here we are. Yeah, and what about you? What made you want to join? So uh. I took Mrs. Weber's Intro to Business class sophomore year, so it was a little late to the party, but she taught us about what DECA was and how to do it, and then COVID hit mm. for that year, and DECA was off for a little bit. It was on Zoom, it was on and off, so then junior year I rejoined because it was back live in person, and I enjoyed it so much that that's why I became an officer this year. Where have you guys traveled to? You mentioned Atlanta. We went At to Atlanta. L. Internationals is in... Orla Orlando. Orlando this year. 
And for districts, we go to Quincy, and then we go to Boston for the state competition. Okay. So obviously it helps with public speaking. You ladies are very well-spoken, and I have judged some of those competitions, and one of the first things I notice is how comfortable a lot of the DECA kids are with speaking, especially to adults. I know that's a, that's a skill that kids have to learn. But what about, does it? how about academically? Are you noticing that it has helped, like, in your business classes, that academically it's... Yeah, definitely helps academically. When it comes to the business class, a lot of what you learn in that class is intertwined with DECA and yeah. the prompts that you get that you present to the judges. Yeah. So having the knowledge on it from the classes is really good, and they go back and forth. So things you learn through DECA, you can apply to your classes as well. Yeah. Are there public speaking classes at Marshfield High? No. Not classes, no. like, specifically for. I know in, like, junior year English, for example, you have a presentation that you have to give for public yeah. speaking. That's really it. So yeah. I feel like DECA is definitely a great opportunity to get better at that. Absolutely. Because you don't really have that in classes. I didn't have public speaking until I was in college. I think maybe freshman or sophomore year, we I took a public speaking class. But Same it's definitely you. something, if you can learn that earlier in life, I feel like you're way better off. It's such an important skill. Talk to me about the competitions themselves. Are they all throughout the year, or are they just all in the spring, or... How does it? So we have our district competition coming up in December. Okay. And so. That's like local high schools, you mean? Like the South Shore? Yeah. So there's eight districts in Massachusetts. We're in District 1. District 1 is the one that competes in Quincy. And then after that, the students who move on from the district competition go to the state competition in Boston. And then the students who move on from there go to internationals. Wow. And that's the one in Orlando? Yes. And that'll be in the spring? Yeah, that'll be in April. That'll be over April break. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, ha- so have you had, I'm sorry, did you have the district one yet or that's coming up? December 13th. Okay. So, so you do, coming up. do you spend the whole fall like preparing for the district competition and doing internal competitions or you, I know you guys do mock competitions. Yeah. And so I'm our- always asked to judge and I'm always like, <laughs> oh, I can't make it. I think Elle asked me again this year. I was like, oh, I can't do it. I'm sorry. Yeah. So we had our mock competition on Wednesday actually and it went okay. really well. Yeah. So we have to take a practice exam at the mock competition as well as a practice role play prompt, yeah. which is what you present to the judges. And then and we have districts December 13th. So that's just to show kids how to do a role play, how to present it to the judge, what yep. the test is going to look like, that sort of thing. Wow, it's a written test? Yeah, so it's online. It's 100 uh, multiple choice questions. You get 90 minutes to answer. Of course, nothing's all. a written test anymore. I just <laughs> aged myself. Totally, <laughs> just aged myself. Yep. Are you feeling uh, any bubbles? Yeah. <laughs> you get your number two pencil. How many kids are in DECA at Marshfield? We have 200 kids. Holy! That's the, a lot. This is the biggest yeah. ta- the, like the biggest chapter we've ever had in wow. Marshfield. And I think we're going to get biggest chapter in the state. I, I was going to say that. I think we officially outnumbered King Phillips. Yeah. Usually they beat us by a little bit, but this year we increased our number by like a hundred students. Yeah. So I think we're officially the biggest chapter in Massachusetts. A hundred students you increased in one year? Yes. Because we had about 130 last year and we're at like 200, 210. Wow. Who's doing all that recruiting? Is it Mrs. Weber? I, I think people just, just like word about the kids. I think yeah. people just like to be able to skip school. Like, <laughs> how, many, how many days of school are we skipping here? This um, is, districts, uh, you've missed one. You missed two. You missed two? Oh, yeah, because it's overnight. Yeah. Uh, and okay. then states, states is two or three. Yeah, oh, like three. Okay. And then internationals, we missed six. And you get to go to Orlando mm-hmm. if you make it to international. It's Disney. Yeah, yeah, we're going to Disney this Disney. year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. So you're missing a week They, like, close down the whole park and just decorate. Do they really? Well, there's some countries there. It's like 7,000 kids and at the international day. Yeah. Wow. It's a I, lot of people. You're missing out in high school. <laughs> I didn't do anything like that for soccer or basketball. Okay, anything else? Justin, do you have any questions for them? Do you guys have DECA? And my brother lives in Westford. What? Does Westford Academy have a DECA? Yes. So. Westford Academy. Yeah. They're yeah. like good. I don't, yeah, my kids are so young though. You guys are good, Justin. 
Westford Academy. We are? <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. They said I you're would. pretty good, yeah. With a name like Westford Academy, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have a big school, yeah. It's a pretty big town, too. Oh. All right, anything else? Join DECA. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> do you guys do, like, how, how do you get the word out to underclassmen? Do you hold... Yeah, like so, after school yeah, discussions or we definitely have a lot of meetings for it, a lot of yeah. what is DECA and if you take a bit so for our chapter specifically you have to take a business class at least one year to be in DECA so they hear a lot about it in their business class as well that's how I heard about it and it's a lot of word of mouth yeah because it's really fun yeah oh my gosh I love that that's great ladies stop by anytime I'm a big supporter of DECA and Mrs. Stanford and Mrs. Weber and I will see you ladies probably at the Smart with Money Fair which we just set the date for March something or other. Oh, That's, can't we? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Enjoy your holiday. Thank you. Thank you and so much. You too. Thank you. Right. Thanks so much. Yep. You too. You're welcome, ladies. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Bye. That was Elle Baird and Allie Lomba with Marshfield High Decca. Thanks, ladies. You can stick around and talk about charitable giving with us if you want, but you can go enjoy your Saturday as well. But you don't get to miss school for that. No, you know. Can you believe I made them come at 8.30 in the morning on a Saturday? But How did this come about? Did you? Are they, are they ambassadors? Bye, Do they have a they responsibilities? They are officers. Okay. Uh, how many officers are there, by the way? 11. 11. There's 11 out of, I guess, 200 of those kids are officers. So they reached out to me just to see if they could do a little, get the word out, do a little PR for DECA. I think I've had, I don't know if it, I don't, I've had officers from DECA on the radio before just because Mrs. Stanford would, I let her know that I would do that for her. And fun fact, Elle's younger sister, Lucy, is good friends with Myla. Okay. So there was that whole family connection and yeah, we've just, that's the great organization. <laughs> Mrs. Stanford and Mrs. Weber help with the Smart with Money Fair, so I know them well and happy to do that. So, does DECA <sighs> does it stand for something? Mm. No, I think it's just probably. the Greek. I think it's I don't know. Is it just the Greek letters? I should have asked them that. Oh, Tim's gonna Google it for us. Google <laughs> Google knows everything. I feel like it's just the Greek letters. Does it stand for something? No, I don't think so. I assumed you because you're because you're so big into DECA, but that's, um, that's <laughs> put you on the spot there. <laughs> All right, let's get back to our outline. Okay, all right, back to business. We were talking about thanks and giving for today's show. I wanted to talk a little bit about, I guess- Distributive Education Clubs of America. Got it. Oh, it is. I, I just had it at the same just, time. Good just job. Like, uh, <laughs> I <beat you> Tim. <laughs> Distributive what? Distributive? Distributive Education Clubs of America. It doesn't really, yeah, it doesn't really tell Distributive you- Distributive Education. Huh. That's what it says. All right. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a 501 not-for-profit career and technical student organization with more than 177,000 members in all 50 states. Wow. Washington, D.C., Canada, China, Germany, Poland, Guam, Mexico, Puerto Rico, and Spain. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy that mm -hmm. they, uh, that's a lot of kids. And to close down Disney World and host, that's amazing. No, did they really close it down? That's what they said. They probably fill up the whole place. I think she said there's, yeah. did she say there's 7,000 kids that go to that? I don't know. I'm getting confused. I know she said there's seven countries that attend. Wow. That send kids, but <clears throat> anyway, good stuff. All right, let's let's get back. We wanted to finish up a discussion on charitable giving, so you know we can wrap up this section on giving in the traditional sense, like outright gifts, money to charity, money to kids, and then maybe after the break we'll talk about some non-traditional types of giving, positioning assets, et cetera. 
Regarding charitable contributions, so there have been some changes in the tax code the last couple of years. There were some like extra benefits for charitable giving in 2021. You could deduct up to 100% of your income, your adjusted gross income yeah. for charitable giving. You would have to give that much money to be able to deduct it. So I'm sure there were not a lot of people uh, except for the <laughs> yeah. extremely wealthy that could do that and live off of portfolio income or something. Yeah, I think um, a, lot of the li- a lot of the limits don't, yeah. You, you hear about those limits often, right? Yeah. Normally it's what, 50% right. of, your, of your income is deductible. But with, yeah. again, that's a high number unless yeah. you're in a particularly low tax bracket for a year. And you have to itemize. So you have to itemize you deductions if you're, right. And the standard deduction right now is... Almost $13,000, it's twelve nine fifty, I think, in 2022 for one person. So you have to have itemized deductions that would exceed that in order to be deducting charitable contributions. And I think, yeah, uh, there's like a, they added a de minimis amount. I mean, I think it's $300 and $600 is deductible over and above the standard deduction now. Because I remember they did, people were bummed out that essentially when they passed that legislation, almost nothing was deductible right. for most people. So there's a small amount that's deductible now. I'm pretty sure it's 300, 600 yeah. for single and then filing joint. But yeah, for, so that, that doesn't cover a whole heck of a lot. If you're right. if you're going to church every, every Sunday, you're probably getting up in that range anyways. And that doesn't really leave much deduction for the rest of it. But hey, that's all right. right. So there are, you have other options, right? Which we'll talk about. For the not super wealthy who can be deducting up to 50% of their income for charitable contributions. One thing that people can take advantage of is for people that are in of the age where they're required to take money out of their IRAs. So people 72 or older, yep. they can take advantage of the qualified... I want to say it's oh, still, is it still 70, 70 and a half. half. Is it still yeah. 70 and a half? You're right. They left that You're right. 70 and a half. You're right. Yeah. Thank you. They can take advantage of what's called the QDC or the QDC or the QCD, QCD, QCD. the qualified charitable distribution. So you can withdraw. So again, you're right. Thank you. If you're 70 and a half or older, the prior required minimum distribution age, you can distribute up to $100,000 directly from an IRA and send it directly to a charitable contribution and avoid the taxes to do. And it does count towards satisfying the required minimum distribution. So you can do it for part or all or more of your required minimum distribution, but the limit is $100,000. Interesting to note, I didn't know this before, that doesn't, you can't do that from SEP IRAs or simple IRAs. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess it makes sense for a SEP because that's really an employer-funded account, not a, right, largely? Yeah. But I don't know what the rationale is there regarding simples, but... It's anyone who has a SEP or simple, it's easy enough to just... Roll you know, it. To, to, yeah. yeah, to roll it out or, yeah, because yeah, you've passed the age when that's going to be an issue. You can just change it. I think most brokerage firms or funds, if you just say, hey, I have a simple and now I'm not funding it anymore, can you just change it to an IRA? That's a very easy process. Easy workaround there. Yeah. Yeah, so this is... Um, taking advantage of the QCD, this qualified charitable distribution is something that I think I'm going to try to make an effort to discuss a little bit more with clients about just because most people now don't itemize their deductions. And so taking advantage of this is now more important than it was in years past because they, many people have, if there's any sort of sizable charitable donation happening then, and if they're over 70 and a half, of course, then it would make sense from a tax perspective likely to take advantage of this. So something that I'm going to make an effort to talk to clients about in more detail coming up here. Anything else on charitable 
give. No, I think. Could, I mean, yeah, again, just on the topic of it's hard to find deductions now that most people don't itemize. You can give appreciated assets. I don't know if that's in another part of the outline, but just because like the QCD, which is both of these, I think are a bit more difficult, right? Than the old way of, oh, I'm just going to write a check for this thing in the mail and I'm going to just write a check for $500 and I'll make sure I write it off of my taxes. It's a little bit more complicated, but you certainly can do the QCD. You just got to fill out your paperwork correctly and have, make sure the check is sent directly to the institution. Same thing, you can give appreciated stock, right? So if you have a, if you bought, uh, tell me, Apple a long time ago and you have this huge position in Apple and you want to give to charity, you can transfer appreciated shares and thus avoid the capital gain on those. So that's another way of, of just being able to give with more of a tax benefit now in this kind of new age where, where people don't really itemize anymore. All right. Anything else on that before we think the more fun stuff is when we get into non-traditional types of gifting. I'm excited about this stuff. I don't think so. All right. All right. We've got like 10 or so minutes before our break. So let's, okay. So what I wanted to focus a a large portion of the show on is, I guess like thinking outside the box in terms of, of gifting, meaning what can you, I guess when I say gifting, largely giving to your kids, uh, the next generation, kids or grandkids. Uh, it's, I think, when people think about gifting, other than for charity, for charities, I think when people think about gifting, right, that's what it is. What can I do for my kids? What can I do for my grandkids or my family or my niece, nieces and nephews if you don't have kids? Yeah. So just like going back to the earlier discussion regarding like the difference between giving money outright and doing something else for their benefit without, what's the word I'm looking for? There, Like we touched on earlier, there are some people that feel strongly that an outright gift of cash, especially like a sizable amount of cash, won't necessarily benefit their kids or grandkids because it yeah. will reduce their entitlement or create entitlement or reduce their work ethic or something like that. There, there's something to be said for that for some people anyway. It depends on the personality. But so there's a lot of people that feel like I love my kids. I want to do everything I can for them, but I don't feel strongly that I want to give them like $10,000 a year or something like that. So the, for 2022, for example, the limit for gifting such that there are never any, uh, no gift tax consequences is $16,000. So you can give someone up to $16,000 per year without worrying about any gift tax consequences on either side. There's never any gift tax consequences to the recipient, but the person giving, should they give an amount over that, there there is an impact to their estate calculation later in life and gift tax returns that, that need to be filed. But anyway, you can give someone tax-free up to $16,000 in 2022, and you can give that to as many people as you want. Don't necessarily even have to be related. But there are some people that feel like they don't want to take advantage of that, but they would like to do something else for their kids. And so my my mind was going in all different directions about this. And I've actually been working on working with some clients on this recently and having these discussions about, okay, what are some other things we can do and how can we position the assets and the estate such that your kids benefit more at your death, but they're not receiving cash outright right now. Um, so one, I guess let's just start with just where do we start? There's so many good things to start with. I guess I would start with like a, in income planning strategies or spending down strategies. So 
when, okay, let me back up. So when you're working with a client who's retired and they need money from the portfolio, either they want or they need money from the portfolio for their life. And let's assume they have, like most people do, different types, money in different types of places. And some people have pension and social security income. I don't mean that. I mean, their investments are usually in retirement accounts, like 401ks, IRAs, real estate, non-retirement accounts, like what we call individual accounts, non-qualified trust accounts, those types, and Roth IRAs. Those are the different types of of places where people have wealth, different from a tax perspective. So one of the things that you and I do as advisors is when we're working with clients that need money from their portfolio in retirement or want it, we develop a what we call an income strategy, or you could call it like a spend down strategy. Where are we going to generate income from? What accounts are we going to draw from? And there are investment reasons for that. There are tax reasons for that. And there are family planning reasons for that. Sometimes when I say family planning, it makes me think of having children, but <laughs> or not. Yeah, I need yeah. another word for that. <laughs> family financial planning. So family life planning. Uh, I feel like. <laughs> All right. Never mind. Actually, workshop, life workshop, planning yeah. is like a whole, that is a whole, like the warm, fuzzy side of financial planning. It's called life planning. Actually, there are advisors that get into like really in deep with clients, like hopes and dreams. Oh yeah. Role okay. playing. Like Crystal yeah. ball and that kind to get involved thing. with that. <laughs> Me or Tim? <laughs> no. Oh. I met you. Oh. Career counseling type stuff. Yeah. There, there's like a whole niche for that. <clears throat> anyway, we digress. All right. So when I, so by default, like when I'm, when Justin and I are working with a client, I'm assuming you have the same default, Justin, is that we're developing an income strategy that's <clears throat> from an investment and tax perspective, the most, the best and most efficient for the client or the married right. couple. Oh, we were just yeah. getting started, Tim. I oh. just, I forgot to fade that down. You keep oh, okay. going. Don't worry about that. I still have another that. couple minutes. Nope. Yes. Yeah. All right. If I need 10 more minutes on this, but we'll continue after the break. And that by default, we would start with, okay, again, from an investment and a tax perspective, what's best for this person or this married couple? And generally that's how we start. But sometimes we get into conversations and we can talk about when those conversations are appropriate and how they come up. But sometimes we would get into conversations about, okay, this strategy would be best for you, but there might be another strategy which is best for the extended family unit if we factor in your kids and grandkids and the assets that may pass to them or will pass to them. So just to elaborate a little bit more, when we're working with let's one person or a married couple and let's say we're not factoring in the family unit or they have no kids or whatever, from a tax perspective, it's usually best to draw down, to delay or minimize income that comes from a retirement account, like a 401k, for example, to reduce tax burden and maybe draw some other income from a non-qualified, like an individual type account, or maybe from a Roth IRA, or maybe you save the Roth IRA for later, but there you can structure income in a certain way to minimize taxes because have you really ever met anyone that doesn't mind paying taxes? I've met two people ever that are like totally fine paying taxes and recognize the importance of it in the world. (laughs) 
And everyone else is, I hate paying taxes. They they always feel like they're paying more in taxes than they're taking home in income, no matter what the numbers yeah, are. Yeah. But so by default, like we're always generating strategies that minimize taxes in current. And actually that's a whole nother layer to the conversation. Sometimes what's most efficient for someone in current year isn't what's best for like their whole life, but then you then we might layer in the family. So let's go a little bit further on that after the break because this is one of my most fun topics to cover. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by my brother and business partner, Justin McNamara, this morning. We're talking about thanks and giving. We're thankful for things in our lives, and I hope you are as well. We're going to talk a little bit more about non-traditional types of giving, like to your family, kids and grandkids, and things that you can do with your money and your estate in order to better the financial position of your kids after your death, or maybe even during your life. We're just taking a quick break. We'll be right back. 